listening to Rebel Heart Radio, hosted by a nutritional therapist, Cassie Knavel, and professional esthetician and makeup artist, Genevieve Blair. A lifestyle podcast about clean living, making money, and badass people that inspire us endlessly. We created this podcast to walk through the tough moments of life with you, inspire you to live more intentionally, and frankly, because we like to talk. Thanks for joining us today. Make sure to catch our weekly episode and subscribe to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you have iTunes, we would be forever grateful for your review on our podcast. Let's get to our latest episode. The materials and content within this podcast are for general information and educational purposes only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Right, recording okay so let's chat about genevieve today <laughs> i'm excited to do these couple of episodes where we where we kind of you know share with the world what we're about and who we are because i think it speaks so much into our life and our choices and mm-hmm. all of that and it just is a space where we can kind of all relate to one another we've all struggled we've all kind of come through a lot of things so Yes. So let's start with something fun. We're going to get to know Genevieve today. Let's do it. Genevieve. (laughs) What's your morning routine? Oh, gosh. When you said this to me, I was like, oh, boy. Okay. So I think everyone aspires to be this, like, power morning person, and they, like, accomplish everything. Especially people in our space. Yeah. Who are, like, female entrepreneurs, sometimes moms. the magic morning. Yeah. (laughs) which I have not even dived into that yet. So my mornings, it actually started when you were having a conversation with me. We were, I think you were doing a consult with me and I hadn't even given much thought to my morning until you were like, so how soon do you pick up your phone? (laughs) And I was like, oh gosh, I hadn't even thought about how intentional I was being with my morning until like later in the morning. Right. And so that was that was last fall. So my mornings lately have been about setting my head up right for the day and trying to do good things for my guts. So my head stays in the right place. (laughs) So my morning routine usually consists of, um, I wake up to an alarm, but I try not to wake up too early because when I wake up too early, like this is something I aspire to. I would like to be able to be more of a morning person, but the only time I get to see my husband is after my kids go to bed. So I'm constantly choosing between spending time with my best friend and going to sleep. See on the flip side of that though, I feel like if you're not a morning person, you can say, Hey, that's okay. Right. And just adjust accordingly. Right. Right. Yes. And that's kind of, and I feel like there's this constant adjusting with that. So So maybe the question isn't like, what's your morning like ritual routine, but maybe like, what's your routine after the kids go to preschool and school and you have a little time to yourself or what it is. Cause I think as a mom, so much of that is just figuring out the space in which you can have a little bit of a routine. Yeah. Um, and you can speak to like the chaos of your mornings. And like, well, like that. L- l- since we're all about being real, I'm going to give you the real. So I usually wake up to an alarm, um, but mostly my kids have been up for a little while because they like to wake up at like five and five thirty. And I'm rude. Like, what are you doing? So rude. So um, and they usually come visit me. So I, I set my alarm so I get out of bed or that I'm like 
sitting up or something, but it's been really important to my mental space that I don't give myself too much anxiety, <clears throat> but it's been important for me to, like I said, headspace. That's kind of been really, so my alarm goes off and usually the first thing I do is get on my phone and I don't like to admit that, but there's a good reason. So I get on my phone, um, for the most part. And, but at this point, so you, you, as listeners will understand this about my business later, I usually end up responding to messages first thing in the morning because as I have slept, messages have come in (laughs) because I'm usually talking to people in China and, you know, obviously you're not on the same time schedule. So I either have to choose to stay up late and have conversations with them live while they are up for their business day or I have to choose to do it first thing so they can have an opportunity to reply first thing. It turns into a productivity thing. So I end up replying to messages pretty quickly. But then after that, the next thing I usually do is I'm, I listen to um, an inspirational talk while I make my bed because that's actually a new thing for me. I kind of had this conversation with God where I was like, okay, I'm going to make space for you every day because I want to show my importance, like where my, like what's important to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I try to do it five days a week because I'm not perfect. I usually miss a couple days, so I can't really say I do it every day, but I try to, as far as my routine goes, I make my bed, I go downstairs. Um, the first thing I do is I end up making my kids, we call it vitamin water. And it's not what you think it is. It's um, so cause, because we don't allow vitamin water in our house. Right. Not that kind of vitamin water, but you know what I mean? So I end up making my own version of vitamin water because Paxton can't swallow pills. So Paxton's my son. He's eight and he has, are you ready for this? Eosinophilic esophagitis disease, which sounds like a mouthful. Took me a while to learn how to say it, but he has, it's an autoimmune disease where his eosinophils, which are a cell that travels with inflammation typically, Um, so his esophagus is inflamed all the time and it causes new food allergies. Um, it causes food impaction. It causes, uh, scar tissue on his esophagus if it goes unchecked. And you can kind of imagine the plethora of problems that come with all of those things. Uh, so he can't swallow pills. So, but because of his autoimmune issues, he has a lot of deficiencies So there's still a lot of things. Both of my kids, I'm still trying to figure them out. But the best way I can figure to get them vitamins, get them nutrients that doesn't go along with a lot of the junk that comes with supplements sometimes has been through liquid. Sure. (laughs) You know, and I can hide It can be, depending on the source, it can be more digestible that way too. Right. Yeah. And that was kind of the conclusion that I had come to was like, you know, I just, and Lucy was so young. And so it was just easier for me to do the same thing, but slightly different measurements for both of them. So we do vitamin water, um, first thing. And then I usually pack lunch and then it's off to school. And by the time we come back, that's the first opportunity I have to like actually eat well. Hmm. So at that point it's a little bit late. That's my, that's my like everyday routine at that point. Then I can start my, my business routine, my, you know, some days it's household routine. Sometimes it's business routine first thing in the morning. Or some a mix the, of the two. Yeah. Or the mix of the two. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's my typical morning. I'd say I've never had to explain my morning routine before, but <laughs> except when we had a nutrition consultation. <laughs> yes, exactly. Both times with Cassie. <laughs> okay. So let's break it down a little bit. Tell mm-hmm. us about where you grew up, where you're from, okay. your family, 
Yes. So I grew up in the same tiny town. Not not even the same, but same area. It's Cassie. Close. So I grew up in a little town called Sandy by Mount Hood. So I grew up in Oregon, by the way, in Oregon, Sandy, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up in a little mountain town and um, I was raised there. I grew up for the most part. I grew up on um, acreage and my parents grew nursery trees. So I grew up pulling weeds. Fun. I was like, man, you learn something about work ethic when you're rows upon rows upon rows of these gigantic weeds. And you're like, why did, what did I do to deserve this? <laughs> But so it was nursery tree farm. Um, for the most part, my my childhood was kind of where I learned my work ethic, which is something you had told me to be like, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> so um, yeah, we're going to talk a little more deeply about that for sure. Yeah, that could go. I could go many different places. But yeah, that's where I grew up. Yeah, a little mountain town. I love it. Yeah. So how did your upbringing kind of turn you into the human that you are today? That is a question. That's a question. That is a, a big question. one. But like, let's talk about like the trajectory, the journey a little bit. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm an only girl. So, and a middle child. <laughs> that doesn't speak volumes. I don't know what does. <laughs> so, interestingly enough, I, my older brother, he's two years and five days older than me. So we're not that far apart. But, um, and then my younger brother is seven years younger than me. So between being the middle child and the only girl, my older brother excelled at everything he did. And he'll probably listen to this and argue with me, but he does. So rude. He, you know, (laughs) expectations a lot. (laughs) I mean, my parents never put that on me. They never told me like, you must be like your brother, but I think it's naturally just a sibling thing, you know? Sure. So... Yeah. So, but at the same time, I also, because I was seven years older than my younger sibling, I also had this protective big sister mom mentality. So I I felt like I was constantly in this juxtaposition between doing what I thought was right and, you know, trying to understand who I was. Like, I just, I think everybody goes through that, but Um, And my dad was a bishop from age 12 to 18. So the formidable years of my life, my dad was, he's a bishop in the LDS church and it was, um, there wasn't very many LDS people my age around me. And um, when people found out that he was a bishop, for the most part, they were like, whoa, (laughs) stay away from Genevieve. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to do with that. (laughs) You know, I mean, boys, definitely like there's, there was quite a few boys that were just like showed interest and then we're like peace out as soon as they found out who my dad was intimidating yeah so I mean for the most part it was I think that shaped a lot of who I was because 12 to 18 I mean that's like a massive that's a really huge time in life to come into yourself and so during like middle school and high school did you feel like part of the like cool kid crowd were you like Cassie? So awkward. <laughs> I played the trumpet. You played the trumpet. Girls play the trumpet? What? I know. I'm just kidding. No, for real. But I was for real, it's pretty rare. Yeah, it was. It was pretty rare. So I guess I better dive into like some of like what made up life back then. So I've been playing the piano since I was like four. Right. And your mom's a piano teacher. My mom's a piano teacher. And then about age 14, um, 
I finally had a different teacher. So, cause my mom and I realized we we're kind of, I was, I was getting pretty good. My mom was like, okay, we need to find you another teacher. Cause we were starting to argue. It's like, really hard to learn things from your, yeah. from your family members. Especially when your teacher lives with you and they want to correct you every two <laughs> seconds while you're playing. And you both have rebel tendencies. Ugh. Yes. That doesn't help either. But at the same time, I am um, in sixth grade. I started playing trumpet and it, it started with, I knew I wanted to be in band because I loved music. I really did love music. And my mom had played trumpet in high school and she still had her trumpet. And she was like, at least give it a shot so we don't have to go buy an instrument. She's like, it'll be because at sixth grade, I was playing masterworks in piano. So like trumpet was one note at a time when I'm used to playing like full handfuls worth with pedals. and You know what I mean? So I was like, I'll give it a shot. Like, you know, and I was the only girl. <laughs> and <laughs> it was it was almost too easy for me because I was like so used to so many brain functions happening with so many notes and fingers. And, and so I think that shaped a lot of who I was, that I was the only girl and amongst, a, you know, a sea of boys in the whole brass department, really. I mean, there was maybe a couple girls here and there, but, um, also I took private lessons. And by the time I was in eighth grade, I was going to zero period classes at the high school for band. So like, oh. So like jazz ensemble, they had like, like an a, extra class. Mm-hmm. And so my dad every day drove me to Sandy High School, and I did. We went to the same high school. That's technically how we know each other, but that, we didn't really know each other. But so I he took me to zero period classes, and it started at six thirty. Dang. Yeah. And so my dad would take me, and then he'd just hang out in his truck while I did forty five minutes of class, and then he would take me, and I would be about ten minute, ten fifteen minutes late to my first period class at junior high up in boring boring Oregon I went to boring little school that is a place uh that it exists. is it's a real place I spent a lot of time there <laughs> my husband's from boring right I technically I feel like my address should have been boring because I was right near the cusp of like, yeah you were but um so but because I did that when I entered into freshman year of high school I was in senior classes senior band classes um and I know that shaped who I was. That might be why you think I'm older than you than I am. Yeah. Because when I was a freshman, like probably three of my classes out of the day were with seniors. Did you hang out with a lot of students who were older than you? Yeah. Okay. That's, I don't recommend it. (laughs) I see that. Because they were my best friends and I adored them. I looked up to them and then they left. I had, I had senioritis as a freshman. That sucked. I bawled my eyes out at graduation while I was playing the trumpet on the stage. <laughs> Dude, I feel you, though, because I, high school could not end mm. fast enough for me. You know, it's an interesting journey for me. I went from wanting school to end my freshman year, wanting to move on. Not to mention I was kind of seeing a guy that was going into college. I don't know how that happened. I'm just saying. But as so a cool. As a fr- I also had a pixie haircut. Do you, you remember did? when you were in eighth grade? You weren't in school yet. I had a pixie haircut Stop it. and it was almost long enough to tuck behind my ear, but the rest of it was pixie. I don't know if I remember that. It had grown out. I think by the time well, I'm I sure you, even a little bit, but I don't know if I remember you ever even having like short hair. By the time I had my sophomore year, it was like about at my jawline. Cause I kind of let it grow. But for was, the record, I thought Genevieve was super cool in high school, which makes girl, me mildly uncomfortable. I'm like, I had really? A, had a girl crush on her a little bit. <laughs> oh, for the love. I felt like such an awkward nerd. Well, because after that, um, but I was kind of a nerd too. So I had, the, it was we, like the nerd crush. 
oh, I am so okay with that. You can have a nerd crush on me. Because <laughs> I felt like a massive nerd. Well, what was interesting is I had done dance all when I was younger. So I'd done piano and ballet, tap, jazz, Polynesian. I mean, I did everything because my mom painted props for the dance studio that I was at. So I got to do everything I wanted, anything I wanted, as much or as little. And so I did a ton of dance. Um, then I, I was, oh, the dance, the dance. And, um, then I got really heavy into music and wanted to explore other sports and things like that. So by the time I was a senior, as a freshman in high school and I was really heavy into music, it was like my world, but I still had that like dance background. Like I still had that musicality, that physicality, you know, but I wasn't using it. Mm -hmm. And, um, oddly enough, my sophomore year and fall of my sophomore year, I started developing cysts right on the inside of my lip where the trumpet mouthpiece sat I couldn't play because I had to keep having them cut out so I was having having them come out and then sewn up so I was like having stitches on the inside of my lip and um after the third one it was like end of October I looked at my band teacher and who was also my private trumpet teacher I was like I I don't know what to do like I can't play like all my entire existence revolved around band. I'm talking like pep band, playing for drama, playing for theater, um, playing in jazz band, playing in the wind ensemble. I, I mean, it was my existence and I was just like, I don't know what to do. And so we tried other brass instruments and it just caused cysts in bigger places because the mouthpieces were bigger for other instruments. Like my body was just full on rejecting anything in that area at all period. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, we can start you on a totally like on a reed instrument or he's like, but you'll have to start in a freshman band. And I was like, I, (laughs) and Oh, hell no. I felt so lost my sophomore year. Like it was like October, November. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't even know anyone my age anymore. Like, (laughs) you know, and I was just, I didn't know what to do with myself. And, um, my whole sophomore year, I had tried new things all over and over and over again. My dad coached me in basketball when I was in junior high briefly, so I tried basketball. When he was thrilled, he was like, yes. <laughs> but all the girls that had been doing basketball for, for years forever. and years were going to be light years ahead of me. And I was going to be lucky to sit on the bench, you know? And I was like, I mean, I'm all for like working hard, but I knew I'd never get to play. And I was like, okay. That would make me quit immediately. Yeah. And I followed through the whole season because that's how I was raised. My parents were like, you start something, you finish it. I might be more of a quitter than that. Oh, gosh. When I was younger, I wish I would have. Because I also tried tennis the following term in spring and I hated it. Hated it. And I was like, ugh. And I was struggling to find who I was and find my tribe, so to speak. And I decided we don't have a dance team. So I'm going to just go for cheerleading and and you were not like the traditional Mm-mm. standard cheerleader Mm-mm. and not to like generalize but just not the cheerleader not I would expect yeah not at all I mean which was part of your appeal for me I think that's some people's appeal yeah I think some people looked at me like okay if she can do it <laughs> maybe that means I can do it because <laughs> I went from total obscurity like not knowing anybody my age to trying out for cheerleading and because of my dance background I made varsity first round which really pissed some people off but it I mean and this is the beginning of Genevieve's skills and, and <laughs> this is the middle of being comfortable pissing people off yes oh my gosh 
Yes. Oh man. So I went into, got into cheerleading and absolutely fell head over heels in love with the sport itself. Not, I didn't like the social part of it. Honestly, Mm. I didn't like wearing the uniform (laughs) at all. Like made me hate, I was so uncomfortable. But to cheer and compete, like you gotta have some skills. Yeah. And I was very, very fortunate that, um, the coach that, um, has, was new. She'd only been coaching for about a year. Hi Kate. I know she'll listen to it. So I'm hey, say, girl, hey. hey, girl, hey, girl, <laughs> hey. She came in and cleaned house, man. She came in and she whipped that program into shape. And I started to look at it like, okay, I, I could feel myself enjoying because I wanted to be a part of something good. Like I wanted to be part of something that, you know, want to strive for excellence. And she was doing it. And I was like, okay. And so I came in at the right time. She was trying to rejuvenate a program, you know, build a name for herself. She was in her late 20s and. Uh, so I went from there to, I did cheerleading pretty solid varsity junior and senior year. And that became my existence. I went from total, total bandard to a cheerleader. So one of the reasons why I wanted to talk a little bit more about high school, cause I know there's a lot more formative years in your life <laughs> since then and really impactful things that have happened to you. Mm-hmm. But, um, just like I, I, we always talk about how cheer was like the source of community for you that you were really looking for when you stepped away from the band community. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of carried you through as you graduated and you came back to to coach yourself. And yeah, spoiler alert, <laughs> I coached all star cheer for seven years <clears throat> out so of high crazy. school. Yeah. So it was. And at the same high school that that we went to. I went, it was the same coach, different. She, she started on like facility. Private, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She started a private all-star community and, um, I have was volunteer coaching at Sandy after I graduated and she got, she's like, I hear you're coaching. How'd you like to actually make some money? I was like, done. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah. And so I, and again, fell head over heels in the coaching. I, I absolutely loved everything about it. I loved, I loved the relationship with the athletes. I loved the, uh, finding out what needed to happen to achieve our goals and, and breaking it down. And then like, you know, backing into our goals. We've talked about that quite a bit. And well, that just kind of speaks into the kind of coach you are today too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely shaped me who I am for sure. Like being able to see an end goal that is so definitive, you know, you want to win this championship okay, what do we need to win that? How do we get there? And you start nine, 10 months previous and you work into it. it. Yeah. And then doing that seven years in a row, it's like it, it definitely shaped who I was or who I am today, who I am as a mother, who I am as a beauty counter coach, who I am as an entrepreneur. Yeah. So that's why I told that story. Cause I feel like if you don't know that about me, you don't know why I care. Yeah. <laughs> we normally wouldn't spend so much time on high school. But, no kidding, right? Right? So did you go to did you go to college? Like did you I did. Okay. Yeah. I went to I was fortunate enough to have parents that really cared about my post high school education. And so they were very much like they didn't push me, but they said, You need to have a skill that takes you beyond a high school education whatever that is. And then I took a long time to figure that out. So I went to school for a little bit. I had a scholarship. So I went to community college for a year and then 
I moved. I wanted to find myself <laughs> like every young person does at some point. It took, I did a little later in life, but we'll get to that. Oh, <laughs> that's our next episode. Please listen. <laughs> Cause I'm going to interview her, but I went to, I went to Mount Hood community college and then I moved to Utah and, um, it was kind of a spur of the moment decision. I missed the date to get into school that I wanted to get into. So I just moved there and said, I'll figure it out. <laughs> and so I moved near my brother, um, because he was down at BYU and I didn't know if I wanted to go to BYU. I just needed to get out of Dodge and just, I wanted to, I wanted to be on my own, get on my own two feet, figure out who I really was without my parents, you know, even though I loved my parents deeply and it was really hard to leave, to be honest, but I just that adventure really close. I am. I'm very close to them. And that, but that adventure just, I just wanted to experience it, you know, and moved to Utah. I did go to one semester of school, but I just felt so directionless that I stopped. And then later in life, after I had Paxton, I went back to online school, which sucked. <laughs> so, I can't imagine trying to go back to school as a mother like that's a, it's it was difficult for me to work a full-time job and kind of go back to school as an adult so it was kind of insanity and I was pushed to the brink many times because it wasn't just online school it was just like school you have due dates every week you have you know requirements and it was equally rigorous which is why I didn't finish like because I, I had Lucy and, um, she was six weeks old when I started a new semester and I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> but it, I mean, honestly, it just, I felt driven. I was like, I, I want to finish. I have to finish. What were you studying for online school? Um, business management, entrepreneurship. Duh. Was, yeah. That would, that would have been my degree if I would have finished. And I, I think I got about a year and a half away from graduating, but it didn't, when we figured out Paxton's diagnosis, I was like, I, I can't like, <laughs> I was already pushing so hard. I mean, I have to do so much planning and cooking and, um, I spent so much time in the kitchen and my mind had to be wrapped around meal planning that I just couldn't think about writing a stupid 500 word paper. Well, and you guys went through so much with trying to find like a diet that worked for him when he was a baby, like yeah. doing first foods and going out thereafter and. And we had a lot of trouble getting pregnant with Lucy. Mm. So it was, I started school when I was in that limbo state. When you are dealing with infertility, I only went through it for 18 months, but if I, I know what it's like to get your period every month when you're trying to get pregnant mm. and that stress of like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> Cause honestly, that was my first inclination for a long time. And then it was, okay, well, I just haven't tried all the methods. And so I was like constantly looking for what was wrong <laughs> anyway. And, um, after 18 months, I was just like, actually I think it was nine months. I decided that I wasn't going to wait around for my life anymore because I thought I would go back to school maybe after the second one, but Paxton was three and a half when we had her and we tried, we started trying when he was a year old because we thought it would take some time to get pregnant, but That's you know, bonkers. and it was I remember telling a friend, um, he had asked me if we were trying to get pregnant, if we wanted any more kids. And, you know, it's kind of a dreaded question God, when you're... Why do people ask that? I don't know. I mean... You have he, no business asking somebody that. Come on. I, I know. And I think that he... 
and not they to say always, anything bad about your friend. It's, but it's they always totally, mean well. Well, yeah, and right? people, it's they think it's a socially acceptable question to right. ask. But like your choice to have children or not to have children or to have more children, that's a really personal choice. And you have no clue what Pandora's box you're opening. Like, no, especially and, living in the day and age we do now with so much rampant infertility. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's a huge part of my story was that I was, see, we'd been trying to get pregnant for 18 months, but I had spent probably the last four months previous to that to, I was trying the let it go method, stop planning, stop preparing, stop stressing because it might be stress. So I was, I was ridding stress for my life left and right. I was like, okay, I'm going to go work out. I'm going to, I'm going to simplify my life. I'm going to stop trying to conceive and just live life and see what happens for a few months. So I was about four months into that. And he had said something, you know, are you planning on having another one? And I said, yes, actually, we'd love to have another one. And I was like, we've been trying for quite some time. And he's like, how long? And I said, and that was the first time I had thought in a while how long it had been. And I said, 18 months. And he was like, <laughs> like, he didn't like, know what to oh. say. And he's like. 18 months like he was shocked like he had no idea and he was a part of our life pretty heavy back then and he was just like oh (laughs) like he didn't like you could tell he was uncomfortable people people who don't struggle with fertility have no idea what that feels like or even the concept of having to really wait any more than a few months to three four months yeah to conceive Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that was his situation because he was just so uncomfortable after that. We just played on a softball team together. <laughs> well, and so. I, you know, I'm someone who has not struggled with infertility. We like tried once and had a baby, and and so oh, I'm happy for you though. Well, it's great, but it's also um, not an experience that I talk about very much because there are it's such a sensitive subject for so many women oh, that man. I know. It's such a massive subject right now. Our generation and younger are really in for it if, we, if people aren't going to talk about it and not offer up solutions or what would work for them or and not just, you know, like Paxson was a straight up accident. I'm just going to say it like <laughs> we didn't really do a great job of um, preventing for three and a half years. Three. That's a long time. And a half years. And we were just living our life and we were like. It'll happen when it's meant to. I would have been a 19-year-old pregnant girl right. if I did that. <laughs> and I I was, yeah, it was, I was 22 when we did that. And I had him when I was 25. Okay. So I guess it was, maybe I was 21. I think it, it wasn't, well, let's put it this way. I was psycho on birth control. So six months into our marriage, yeah, I was this like. this is like a whole nother conversation. So I got off birth control and then we just were not great with, and we were like, well, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And then it happened quite a bit later. <laughs> And so, but yeah, I digress. So, but watching his reaction to, he didn't know what to say. And he was like, wow, that's a long time. I just bawled my eyes out. I was just like, it was the first time that it really hit me that, and we couldn't afford infertility treatment. Like we were so broke during that time in our life that it was like, it was a pipe dream thinking about getting medical help to get pregnant, you know? And I was just like, I don't know what to do. Like I had a lot of heart to hearts with God and, you know, a lot of prayers and being like, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And I got some really serious answers of like, 
this and it was cool. Like, I mean, and I was just like, yes, okay, okay. (laughs) And decided I was going to go to school. Um, three months into school, I got pregnant. Nothing had changed other than I had changed some of my eating habits, but now what I know about nutrition, it wasn't much. It was your distraction. And it was, and it was, it took the stress level down, which is interesting because you'd think that that would be another School stress. School can be stressful, yeah. Right. But I was happy. I was like, I felt fulfilled. Does that make sense? So this was still your online program that you were doing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, um, so, so when did that wrap up for you? Um, I gave birth to her on finals week. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, okay. I messaged all my professors. I was like, so I'm going to give birth to a baby the week of finals. That's at least the plan. And they were all so kind. They were just like, cool, take it early. You know, we'll make sure you have the necessary. I was really, really lucky. They were super. So you were totally wrapped up with that, that term when you were, I was wrapped up about about four days previous. Oh my gosh. I know. (laughs) insanity and Paxton had a cast on his foot when I was about 34 weeks pregnant and because he had broken kind of ligament pulled some bone away and so here I am just gigantic carrying this three-year-old like on top of my belly because he couldn't he wasn't allowed to walk on his foot for a while and then it's hot as summer it was midsummer I was like oh my word (laughs) The, the absolute craziness of that little short period of my life was intense Hmm. but um that was a tough spot yes and I lived there (laughs) I lived there you lived in that tough spot for a while but um I have a beautiful gray spot right in the middle of my head from all of that like I like sometimes women develop gray spots just during pregnancy without all that yeah it was postpartum it was postpartum for me actually it was I started noticing it it probably grew in pregnancy, right? But it, I didn't see it until I was in postpartum. Sure. But um, we always joke that Lucy gave me this lovely little, little stripe because it's just a stripe. I don't have any other gray hair on my head, but just this patch that's probably about the size of a pencil head. Mm. It just comes out of my head. Anyway. Well, so how did how did you like end up becoming a professional makeup artist, esthetician? Like. How did that, How'd that fit of, in? Where where does that come in? When did that start for you? How old was how old were the kids? Like Right. So that actually started um right after I got married. So before kids, um I could not figure out what I wanted to do. Like I didn't seem to fit in any career path at the moment. Like nothing felt right to me. Um and I've always been good at hair. I've always been good with skin like makeup and that sort of a thing. And it's always interested me, but, um, I didn't want to work in a salon. I didn't want to be a hairstylist. So I didn't know what to do with that for the longest time. And then I had a friend who, um, whose mom was an esthetician and she was like, you should look at aesthetic school. And I was just like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and she pointed me in a direction. And it, so I went to school and it was great because it was competency based. So I could go as fast as I wanted. So I could test out as fast as I wanted and so I blew through it in three months. I was like, I just wanted to be done. I wanted to move on. I wanted to like live in this career space. And um, so I went to school for, um, I went to school to be an esthetician. And I also, I finished it so fast that I also did their electrolysis program. So I don't even know if people know what electrolysis is anymore. So let me explain it really quick. 
it's basically like old school hair removal. It looks like a needle, but it's not. It's rounded at the tip, but it's the same look as a needle. And you literally wear these like gargantuan, like you, you have to be able to see the pore to insert it in the oh, pore. That's crazy. And then turn on the electrical current. So you have a pedal at the bottom. Oh man. It seems really barbaric now that I know Where everything about lasers. Where do people get electrolysis done? Do they do that anymore? Is this it, something people still do? It's a do? dying art for sure because you can do so much of that work with a laser. Yeah. But you can't do blonde hair and you can't do white hair. So With a laser? Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't pick up on yeah. it? Interesting. I right? Thought, I didn't know that. So, um, so I finished that program and uh, had no clue what to do with it. Like I was just like. What, how old were you when you finished that? 22. Okay, so this is before the kids Mm -hmm. ever existed. Yep, so I was about 22, and um, pretty quickly after, I actually started working in a photography studio doing makeup for them, and then I also did, like, assisting, so I did posing, and, like, I was basically the photographer's assistant. I would set up their lighting, I would help them move, and anyway, and it was a really interesting work study. I made no money, (laughs) and I was like, I can't stay here. (laughs) So that's what made you go back to school, because you weren't earning kind like you of wanted to earn I it made me go back to school um actually after I quit the med spa was when I started going back so my my timeline was that when I finished um I got a job offer from a med spa out of a photography school from a classmate who had moved into the med spa space so she referred me and that which is kind of rare it's actually really hard to get into the med spa space because there's no formal way to get training but they want you to already be trained before they hire you so does that even work yeah it's like a total catch-22 and so I got really really lucky that I entered into a space where they were starting a training program at this particular med spa that doesn't even exist anymore but they um, came in and they trained me for two weeks and I learned um, laser theory. I learned, I mean, I was like, so tell everybody what a med spa is. A med spa is a it's it's a spa, but it's very medical based. It's laser skin care, whether you're dealing with anti-aging, um, broken capillaries, brown spots. Um, I also did hair removal. I did laser skin resurfacing. We also did um, things that you can't do as an esthetician because we were under a doctor's license. Sure. Yeah. So I was doing like really high intensity chemical peels. I was doing, um, I was able to do the laser resurfacing because I was under his license. Um, uh, we also did Botox and we did the injectables, all those sort of things. And I got to assist the doctor for that because I was the lead tech for a long time. So that was, I learned so much when I moved into the med spa world. Like it was kind of being thrown into an ice bucket though, because I got thrown into it and, uh, it was still a relatively new world when I was like 23 and, um, laser hair removal was a lot of educating, like trying to educate people on what it is and how it works and, and things like that. And the business entrepreneurs centered around, there was a lot of money involved because it's not cheap, right? I can imagine those services are pretty expensive. Yeah. Yeah. They're not cheap. And really you're only spending your money on lasers, the physical space and the esthetician, like you don't need much product. You can, but it was just, um, it was an interesting world to be thrown into my second med spa. I worked at that one med spa for about a year and then I got a job offer at another one that was bigger. It was in a, um, a wealthier demographic. It was, it was kind of felt like the pinnacle for me. I was like, feel like I'd made it. You You'd know, arrived. I had arrived and I was 20, I was almost 24, no, 23. 
yeah, I was 23 and I got in there and the lead tech, it was just the lead tech and me. It was only two techs and then the doctor and then some office staff and salespeople. And, um, the lead tech, I really looked up to her. She taught me a lot in a really short period of time because about four months into it, she quit and moved across the country. And I was like, it was just me. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's like, you and I are like earlier, we're talking about the fake it till you make it mentality. That's yeah. where that started because I was like, okay, I just have to step into this role that I'm like not ready for. And I was young, 23 to be the lead tech. Yeah, and be let's telling, be real. That shit doesn't matter though. It doesn't. But when you're talking to women that are in their fifties, late forties, yeah, they're like, they look you at you know? like, um, <laughs> You You know nothing about wrinkles. (laughs) You don't need to have this service done. So why should I trust you? Which I think I hope that like we've kind of blasted through. Right. Because knowledge is knowledge. Yeah. I know I felt pretty insecure most of my life when I was young and in leadership positions because, Mm -hmm. you know, you're you may be over someone who is older than you. You may be helping people who are older than you. And they yeah. act like you don't know what you're talking about, oh, even man. if you, you, I mean, we don't like to think we actually do. So, right. And I, and I had lived in this space long enough to understand how to help people. So I was confident in what I was doing. I was like, I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> right. But, um, and then I, I became part of like the hiring process. I was part of like a lot of the protocols for like new treatments. I, assisted the doctor when he was because he was only in a few days a week so you got a lot of experience oh my gosh yeah a ton yeah so let's fast forward a little bit and talk about I know like you had some health challenges kind of moving into your um I don't know current journey really Mm -hmm. with where you're at with your career now and what you're up to now Mm -hmm. um and family life and everything it's like everything it all it all blends together yeah but uh (laughs) what I want you to talk about is the health challenge that kind of led you to where you're at now mm, okay, and that journey from the kids and what you guys have gone through as a family and changing your diet and everything and how that's kind of impacted right where you're at now. Oh, gosh. That's, a, that's like the big story, right? Yeah. That's the big why. So now that you guys know a lot about my past, now I can tell you the relevancy of what we're going to talk <laughs> about. So I kind of touched on the infertility part. So the infertility was kind of where it started for me. Um, but I just, I had no clue how to feed myself. I had no understanding of nutrition. I supplements were like these distant, like, I don't even, you know, like I just, I, it was so basic for me. I kind of just thought that like rich athletes took supplements. Yeah. And what does it really <laughs> even do? Really? Right. I That's didn't, how I, I didn't believe in the efficacy at all. Same. Yeah. And it was like, well, it just seems so out there and. I, and so when I, uh, had kind of given up a little bit or was trying to let go of the idea of getting pregnant with Lucy and I was so sick, like I, I remember distinctly two different moments where I was like, something's really wrong. Um, it was Christmas time. Paxton was almost a year old. He was like 11 months and it was Christmas time and I had gone to visit my parents and mom and I were walking into the grocery store and I looked at her and I was like, it was like six, six thirty at night. And I was like, mom, I am kind of nervous that I'm pregnant again because I'm so tired. I'm like, I can barely function. And my idea of tired back then is a little different than now. Like I understand myself a little better, you know, but back then it was, I couldn't keep my eyes open. I was like, I literally felt somebody was like pulling on my eyelids. I'm like, what's happening? 
and um, I couldn't think straight. You know, I understand what all those kind of mean a little bit more now. And of course, I was really tired. I could have slept. I could have taken two naps a day and still not felt any better. In fact, it happened a lot and I still did not feel any better. I remember. And then so that was the one time where I was like, dude, something's up two or three months later. I remember going into the grocery store. I had a list of like four things. I was like, I just need these four things. I'm going to go in and come out because it was this guy that was watching the baby and I just wanted to go and come back. And um, I walked out of the grocery store with nothing in my hand and I had been in there 45 minutes. And I mean, it sounds like I'm kind of losing my mind at that point. Like, I was just like, I looked down at my clock and I'm like, I literally wandered that store when I knew I had a goal to walk in with. And I walked around, I got distracted by other things around there. I couldn't find things I was looking for. And I was like losing my mind. I get back in the car and I just started bawling my eyes out because I'm like, something is wrong with me. How many months postpartum were you at this point? 14. This is with Paxton? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at this point, Paxton was starting to have allergic reactions. And, um, he had had surgery at three months old with pyloric stenosis, which is very fixable, pretty easygoing. But um, after that, they wanted him to stay on proton pump inhibitors. And I was thinking... Don't even get me started. Oh. Hmm. PPIs. I could, I could go somewhere with PPIs now. But at the time, <laughs> I was just like, okay. Like, I didn't, you know, back when he was coming back from the hospital, they were like, we just want him to heal properly. So we want his, like... We want his acid to be under control because he was projectile, you know, and then dealing with all of his health issues and then having my own. I was so overwhelmed. I'll let you yawn. Just yawning. <laughs> the first thing Gosh. I did was I went to the doctor, did a blood panel on me and everything's fine. And I know that this is becoming a more common thing. I hear this often enough that I just want to shout from the rooftops, like how many women have gone through this where they're like, I am ill. And I was like 26. I'm like, I am too young to feel elderly, but I felt elderly. I was overweight. I was, I was not sleeping well. I like, like the brain fog. I cannot even. Achy joints. Oh yes. Achy joints. Exhausted. Yeah. And I, I felt like I couldn't even play with my toddler I'm like this is insane and to have a doctor dismiss you it was dismissive it wasn't like oh you're fine it was your all your blood levels are fine you're young you're a new mom you're probably sleep deprived they're there and I was just like oh my gosh that's it Could you be more condescending yes and I was just like I don't I don't know what to do <laughs> like, like even what now and it's funny, like my family tells me this now, but in retrospect, they were like, we were worried about you. You looked green because I have really olive toned skin in the dead of winter. I'm really pale. And when you've got physical issues on top of that toxicity in your body. Yes. Massive. Like I must have. Yeah. And I was just. Oh, just everything about that time in my life was foggy and weird. And I was just like that. That's it. Like I'm I'm massively out of shape. I attributed it to being lazy. I think most people think that because most of the time you don't have the motivation to work out when you feel like that. You don't have the motivation to think. You can't think straight. You can't meal plan. You can't research. You, you're just so. You have no headspace for yeah, that. You're so lost and stuck in how you feel that it's just you just don't know what to do. So I did the only thing that I knew to do and I went to the gym and um, and 
it was a journey to try to get Paxton to go in the kids area, but we finally got him in there. I was able to start getting on a workout schedule and it was just, I felt elderly and I was just like, I've just, if I can just work hard and push through it, I'll feel better, you know? And about, uh, two months into it, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Two months, like 60 days of like no improvement. In fact, I felt worse most of the time. As you can what imagine. were you doing in the gym? This is what I want to know. I went, I went back and forth from cardio to weightlifting. Okay. So it was because I did, I loved weightlifting before that when I was in high school and cheerleading. It's like she lifting knows girls. That weightlifting is my jam. I, I, I do. I do. And what I suggest for most people that I work with. Right. And I usually did weightlifting when I didn't think I could physically do cardio, mm-hmm. which was just how I did things. Um, and I worked, I ended up getting a job in the kids area because I was so broke that I needed, I wanted to go to the gym, but I couldn't afford it anymore. Free membership. So I got a free membership and it was really interesting being there because I saw a lot of people regularly coming in and I saw this girl come in and I watched her transform. She went from, you know, she looked like a mom, you know, she looked soft around the edges, tired. Amen. Yeah. Right. And she came in and over like a two month period, she came in and I was like, I remember she came in and brought her kid in and she, I, the definition in her arm, I was like, what are you doing? Like, please tell me your secrets. And, and it, it, I, as much as I don't want to guide people this direction anymore, I have to give it part of my journey. Sure. She was doing Advocare and I was like, I don't even know what, the, like, what, you know, and the one thing that Advocare did teach me was how to pay attention, how I felt when I ate. Yep. I mean, I really did this for myself, but it gave me the space to do it. Um, and it helped me realize the importance of supplements and what it can do for your body. So I was like, sign me up. Give me what they got. Like, I'm I'm ready to feel better, you know. And I started with a cleanse and I lost nine pounds in three days. Whoa. I almost couldn't believe it. I was like, no, I don't want to know what's in the cleanse, but I do as a practitioner. I'm like, oh, I will, I will, I will show it to you. Yeah. I've taken a look at Advocare products before and this is totally a conversation for another day, but no. And I, and I don't recommend it to people now because I feel like it's one of those things where it's great for somebody like me where I was and I needed to be shown. I have a similar story. Right. Yeah. And everybody's got to start somewhere. Right. So I lost nine pounds in the first three days and I was like, what just happened? And I wore pants for the first time that I hadn't worn since before Paxson within like five days. And I felt on top of the friggin' world. Like I was just like, everyone needs to know about this. And like more people need to understand how to feed themselves. And it was, it kind of lit a fire under me because I did feel better. And by the end of it, I had lost I think I'd lost 15 pounds. I lost three and a half inches off of both of my thighs. Whoa, mama. Like when I say I was overweight, I mean it. (laughs) (laughs) Like I was just like, even the girl that was measuring me, um, she was my coach at the time. She was just like, what? Like she had to measure it again. She was like, no way. And, and I had such a triumphant moment. You probably had a lot of inflammation and water weight in there too, which is going to take up a lot of space for you. Because I wasn't eating gluten anymore. That was a big part for me was getting rid of the gluten in my diet. That was part of the cleanse. It was. Yeah. Cause the, the dietary guidelines were um, no processed foods, no grains except for rice. Yeah. So pulled but, gluten out. Yeah. And didn't even know you pulled gluten out, but you did. And I understood it, but I didn't like, I knew I was taking out bread, but I didn't, I didn't know what it was doing for me, but 
I'm, yeah, know. and that's the thing. When most people get to a point where they're looking at like a gluten free diet, they're just like, I just don't, I just don't eat bread, right? And you're like, no, no, it's in everything. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that kind of taught me how to uh, look differently at food and supplements and things like that. And I felt so massively better that I was like, this is a revelation, but it's not sustainable. It's not, it's not something that's meant to be lived in day in and day out. So I felt phenomenal. And, um, shortly later I actually got pregnant with Lucy and I don't find that a coincidence, right? No, you sloughed off inflammation. You pulled mm-hmm. inflammatory foods out of your diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you cut out probably some toxic processed foods that you were eating mm-hmm. and didn't know were toxic. Yep. And see, that was the, the training wheels for me is it taught me how to take it out, but I didn't know why. Mm. That's the problem is I didn't know why. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just doing what I was told, mm. which was great. But I wanted I wanted to know. I wanted to know what what was up. I got pregnant with Lucy and I um, got sick on the prenatals that my doctor gave me. Um, I had, I, I don't know if I can accurately describe it, from my knees to my ankles, I wanted to tear the skin off my legs. They itched so bad. Like, it woke me up in the night. That's awful. It was awful. And I was like 20 weeks pregnant. It was like halfway through my pregnancy. And I was just like, this is insane. And so I stopped everything because I didn't know what it was. I mean, I stopped putting things on my body. I stopped putting things in my body except for food I knew I was safe with. And miraculously, in like three days, it went away. And I was just like, this is insane. So then I started adding things back in. Um like using my lotion because I was like is this topical but I was using it on my arms too so anyway we don't always have a reaction everywhere yes and so I was like well okay um I put the prenatals in probably close to last and it was within 12 hours it was back and so it was very definitive in my mind I was like okay guess I'm gonna have to take out my prenatals and I was so upset and frustrated and I felt And at this point, we're also having some pretty serious issues with Paxton, too. And I was getting no help from anyone in the medical community. They were just like, oh, kids throw up. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like he he's eating a food he loves, which was cheese quesadillas, (laughs) loved cheese quesadillas. And he'd be just sitting there and then he would just without warning, no, no issues, just throw up on his plate. Because there was there was no warning. He didn't even feel nausea. He was just and I was like are you all right? And he's just like, yeah, like he was confused even. And I was like, okay, what's going on? Yeah. And weird stuff like that would happen. And he would gain new food allergies so often. So you couple that with me being frustrated with my own body and not getting any help from an OBGYN, not getting any help from a um, preferred provider, you know, pediatricians were just mystified by Paxton. Well, we'll just take the food out. I'm like, we are on like the fifth or sixth food now. Like, how much more are we going to go? Like, is this going to keep happening? (laughs) And they just didn't have any answers for me. They didn't want to give any answers to me. They didn't want to dig. They didn't like, I I felt so alone. And because I was his mom and I spent all day with him and my, because I was living in my own body, I didn't feel like anybody else could help me either. And it just felt so lonely and so defeating. And so I, I just... I didn't know I hadn't I didn't know where to go or what to do. You know, I didn't even know nutritional therapy practitioners 
existed at the time and I wouldn't have had the money to get any there help. There weren't that many back then. <laughs> right. And yeah, this was 2009, 2000, late 2000, 2009, 2010. And no, no, 2012. That's what it was. 2012. And I, from, from there, I just kind of lived my life and started being more intuitive about how I was feeding him and intuitive in my research. And I mean, I followed every little rabbit hole. I I mean, I'm so thankful for things like Google. (laughs) I really am because it can be crazy. It can be self diagnosing, but I wanted information. I didn't care what they said to me because I think sometimes as a parent, it's difficult to live in a space where your child might have something pretty serious and keep going. Well, and nobody's listening to you. And nobody's listening. You're not being heard. They're just like, he's fine. He probably has some food intolerances. Yeah. Let's pull those out and, uh, and he'll probably stop vomiting randomly. Yeah. And having horrible constipation and then diarrhea and distended tummy owies like oh just his journey has been an interesting one for me because nobody was helping me (laughs) like I was doing everything by myself and even in my personal life people didn't know what to do like my husband was totally overwhelmed and freaked out and it made him scared and sad to think that something serious could be happening and he was going to work full-time and I spent all my time with Paxton so I had more of an intuitive nature with Paxton like I kind of understood his rhythms and his well as a mother like when something is wrong with your child you know it in your gut you You just know it you know this is why like half the time like Graham will cough or like choke or do something random you know whatever my my little guy he's too and, uh, and my husband, Josh will be like, oh my gosh, like, is he okay? He's okay. I'm like, he's fine. It's the other, it's the flip side, right? It's like, oh no, I know in my gut he's, he's totally fine. Yeah. But you know, in your gut when they're not. Yeah. And when it's just the repeated, you know, something's wrong, but you don't know what to do about it. It's right. not a fun place to sit. <laughs> and know. everybody's telling you you're wrong. And everyone's telling me I'm wrong. Cause he also was an insanely picky eater. Like insane like you would eat like five foods and it was all grains like texture yeah because texture was a huge thing for him and I think everything tasted weird I I really do because stuff that was supposed to be insanely good he didn't want anything to do with and I was like okay I don't know what to do with this like (laughs) like he wouldn't eat any fruit any fruit period my kid will annihilate (laughs) no right (laughs) and I was like what kid doesn't like any fruit like and um so how did that carry you into where I am now? Yeah. Um, a lot of research, a lot of um, reading and a lot of talking to people that would listen. I, I didn't stop talking. Like and advocating for yourself and your child. Yeah. And I remember when we moved um, from the house that he grew up in to the house we're in now, it gave us an opportunity to see a new provider and I hadn't seen an allergist for Paxton in quite some time because I was, I was fed up. I was, I was just like, this is not nothing that anyone's saying is helping and it's confusing me. And, and it's just getting worse when he had a garlic and chicken to his list. I was like, what, what do I do? Like, I don't know. How do I? (laughs) And so we saw a new allergist up here 
And I really think that he was meant to meet us because he saw a two and a half year old blood test. Cause I'm not, I have, I have a, a binder about two inches thick of paperwork from him. Cause I keep everything. Cause I want it physically. Like, that's intense. It is, but I just, just like, that's all I can, you know, <laughs> that's physically your, hold it. That's your style though. Yeah, that is my style. Like I'm, I don't have a problem doing hard things sometimes, <laughs> but it was like, so I had like his surgery records, his allergy records, his blood tests, multiple blood tests and his blood test from two and a half years previous. I've, this doctor, I've never met a, a provider in the traditional medical community that did what he did. He spent three hours with me and he had office people coming in and knocking the door and he would step out for a few minutes and go take care of the next person and then come back. We did that for three hours and he poured through that paperwork and he was listening to me. He listened to me. That's amazing. I will forever be thankful to that man. Like he, he even asked me, do you have a medical background? And I said, no, not a traditional one. And he goes, wow. He's like, he, he was like, you sound like you've got a medical background. Did you go to school for it? And I was like, no, not, not, <laughs> I was like in the med spa world. But no, I went through this. Yeah. With my child. And he's like, you're incredibly well read. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Someone finally acknowledging the effort that you had put into to heal yourself and your family. Yeah. And he was just like, I really appreciate all the effort. And I was like, I cried to him because I was just like, I can't even tell you how many providers we've seen and nobody listens. Nobody wants to. Nobody has the time. I'm sure there were some that wanted to. But they didn't have the time. Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, our medical system is not set up for doctors Mm -hmm. to be able to do the kind of intake work that it takes to care for tough cases a lot of the times. Right. And then we're in a space where, you know, you're, you're seeing one provider for this part of your body and another provider for another part of your body and nobody's communicating. And Mm. it's so frustrating. stories about that too. Yeah, Yeah. And it's, it's absolutely infuriating. Sometimes people aren't even communicating in the same office. You're just like, I don't understand. (laughs) But he, he looked at a two and a half year old blood test and looked at his inflammation levels. Um, it's kind of hard to explain in this situation, but it was, it was an allergy blood test level. And there was one in there that was supposed to be measuring his eosinophils, um, or it was measuring his inflammation. Essentially it was what it was. And it was just outside the normal range. I don't even know. I, I, I didn't know how to read a blood test that well at of the time. Of course not. Right? Because I don't have any medical background. I knew well enough to understand some of it, but the IEG level that was on there, um, he was zero to 100 was normal and he was at 256. And he was like, okay, so I want to point this out to you. And he had had several blood tests done since then, but that one in particular stuck out to him because it was a 256 instead of like 110, 150, you know, he was always just over, but this one was, you know, and he was like, this is a breadcrumb worthy following. And, uh, he's like, this usually shows inflammation somewhere in the body. Uh, and I, I gave him this look, like, should I be concerned? And he was like, no, typically medical providers will only point this out if it's in the thousands, tens of thousands. He's like, that's a sign of cancer. And I was like, so what does this mean? And he goes, it just means there's inflammation. He goes, at this point, I really think you should go see uh, a GI specialist and bless him. He actually gave me something to go with. He says this particular disease, eosinophilic esophagitis fits him 
enough because he's never been textbook of anything. He's like enough that I would look for a provider that knows what this disease is. And I was like, okay. He's like, I'm new to the area. He basically diagnosed him. Yeah. Yeah. Which is amazing because he wasn't textbook. That's amazing. He was phenomenal. I followed that guy for a while because he bounced clinics like a lot. Like we drove to Walla Walla, which is like seven hour drive to meet him at the last appointment. That's intense. Yeah. I don't know where he is now because he moved clinics again. But I was like, I was so thankful to him that I was like, I will follow you anywhere. (laughs) Um, But he um, he said, I will refer you to anyone you want. I've never had a doctor do that either. He was like, I'm new to the area. I know that you're the kind of person that's going to do your research. So whoever you want. And I was like, okay. I went home and I busted out my computer and I did. There is two providers in the Pacific Northwest that even talk about eosinophilic esophagitis on their bio. Wow. And one of them was in Portland, which I was like, thank you. And uh, made an appointment and it was about two months later that we had official diagnosis after he had his scoping done. He had a, um, I would say it wrong, EGD, EDG, endoscopy and yep. a colonoscopy. And they had biopsies all along the way. And it was so definitive that he had it because he had six, 60 times the normal level of eosinophils in his esophagus. <laughs> so all of that the excess eosinophils in his entire body was in his esophagus for the most part. Pretty much. That's insane. Like they tested all along the other parts of his digestive tract and everything tested normal except for his esophagus. Wow. And I was like, you wow. You finally had an answer. I was, this time I cried because I was relieved. Like I can't tell you what it feels like to have a definitive diagnosis after he was, I had just turned six, after six years of being scared I was like I was so thankful that it was so definitive because it gave me a final direction to go with you know and I learned everything I could about eosinophils and everything I could about inflammation and what that means and um that's really when my learning started you know about food because and healing the body from the inside out because I finally understood and what year was this? 2014. Okay. Yeah, Lucy was about a year old. And so it wasn't that long ago. Oh, 15. 2015. She was a year and a half when he was diagnosed. And she was having her own issues. Lucy's got her own issues. And so that could be a whole other episode. So I won't get on that one. But <laughs> uh, she has taught me a lot about blood glucose levels. She has taught me a lot about... Uh, how our serotonin levels affect our brain and how they get to our brain and uh, essentially how our gut health does more than just give us poop. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that we're talking about poop on basically episode one because Mm. this is going to be something we talk about sometimes. The real. The real. The real, real. So, I mean, I could talk forever because there's so much to say, but that's really kind of my headspace and where I'm at. And it, and a healing him healed me because I ate like he did. And then, and then I started eating like Lucy did. We, in 2000, actually it was six months after he was diagnosed, we went keto. You had to put Lucy on a ketogenic diet. Yeah. Which for those listening is a low carbohydrate protocol that puts your body into a state of ketosis 
and allows your body to basically burn through ketones for energy, i.e. burn your fat for fuel. Which sounds insane for a two-year-old. She was two. When yeah, we and she it. didn't need to lose fat at that point. Exactly. But if you load her up with plenty to eat, calorie-wise, then you're going to be we okay ate there. a lot of avocado and olives. <laughs> like, a lot. So good. Until she was tired of them. Well, and because she of her age, I ate like that, too, because she wanted everything that I put in my mouth. <laughs> so when she went to bed, I, I was like, like you. Yeah. Yeah, and I shed 15 pounds. No problem. Like, it, I've never had weight fall off me like that. I was so like, you approached a real food lifestyle, a ketogenic lifestyle through your kids. Healing my kids. Yeah. And purely getting there because I couldn't fathom the idea of letting them live the way that they'd been living the rest of their life. Yeah. Like, that's just insane. And nobody was helping me. I'm like, this is insane. <laughs> you know, and then as I started to find more people in the community that... um understood what that meant that's when I started to understand what NTPs were and you and I didn't even find each other on that subject Mm -mm. I think that's why this podcast makes so much sense because we can talk about so much but there's like there's so much to learn about each other yep you know so that's how I got to where I am with my food journey (laughs) so now you're a like Safe skincare, beauty, freaking maven, <laughs> expert, amazing. So tell us about how your journey from basically toxic beauty products into the non-toxic world and and this, that that's a different, a whole different piece of your health right. journey that I think is so worth sharing. Yeah, this was um, massive for and me. And it's going to be one that a lot of people can relate to. Yeah, and that more people need to know about, like a lot more people. So for me, uh, when... If we can go back to where I was at. So when Paxton got diagnosed with EE, that's the short name for it. I'm going to call it EE always. Yeah, (laughs) because otherwise it's a mouthful. When he was diagnosed with EE, I was emotionally depleted. I could barely, because at the same time, the month after Paxton got his diagnosis, Lucy had surgery. (laughs) Four weeks later, she had surgery. Um, she had a cyst that was growing just inside her eye socket. Yeah, it's been bonkers. Like, And so the same time that I was going through the pre-screening appointments with Paxson to figure out what we needed and all the blood work for him, I was doing the same thing for Lucy for the cyst that was growing just inside her eye socket. And it was threatening her vision. And we were seeing totally different specialists and things like that. And so I was so... I fearful all the time and I was emotionally depleted and I was stressed and I had no outlet. I, my husband, bless him. My husband, Skylar was, you need an outlet. (laughs) He's like, you need to do something for yourself on the regular. And he helped me kind of brainstorm about things that I love. And, but I couldn't spend, it was, it I spent so much time cooking and meal planning and because if you think about you're doing three meals a day and like at the time Paxton wasn't in school so it was like meals snacks like I was consumed by their life and he's like you need something you can do at home so that way because I was like nothing's gonna pull me away from my babies now like because I'm the only one that knows 
<laughs> your mama bear at that point. Yeah, no, nobody understood. I hadn't met anyone that understood. And you hadn't met anybody you could trust to mm-hmm. care for them in the way that they needed to be cared for. I mean, even my husband was just like, if I had to go away for the afternoon, he was like, lay out exactly what they need to eat. Write it like, down. Write it down. What time? Like, you know, which I was totally willing to do. But so he was like, you need an outlet. And I had done uh, makeup in that photography studio way back. And I had done makeup for fun. I hadn't been taking clients for a while. I started taking clients um, right after Paxson got born. I did a lot of weddings, but it was still very like I was just dabbling when I could, whenever the jobs came. Um, So at this point, he was like, why aren't you doing beauty vlogging? Like, why aren't you? You love makeup. Like, why aren't you doing more of that? And I I still can't believe he because for the most part, it felt frivolous. It felt unimportant compared to the emotional trauma I had been going through with my kids. And I was just like, I could do that right now. Something that doesn't mean anything to anyone but me. Like it was okay. That sounds about right. Cause which is so not true. Like, but it felt like it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to talk a lot more about like, you know, the being in the beauty industry and being in a space where, you know, you want to do really impactful things with your life, but, um, you're in a space that people don't take very seriously a lot of the time. Right. Well, and I think it's, I think that's changing. I yeah. hope that that's changing because well, there's what was so much artistry behind it. For me, I, I needed to, as, as I started to talk about products more and I started to show things that I loved and like the artistry behind the makeup and I started to, and I think it's important to note that I didn't really do it for anyone else but me. <laughs> like I, I wanted to express myself. I wanted to do something on the regular and he was so supportive. I mean, the camera equipment, the lighting was not cheap and he understood that and he was like I know I'm investing into you almost like your mental health well, especially for you too because you are like if you're gonna do something you're gonna do it all the way I thought was my like you guys should see our podcasting equipment right now <laughs> most I people know. get started when they've got a brand new podcast with like earbuds and an iPhone and, and everybody like, tells you like yeah you can do that and she'd listen to the audio and be like oh heck no <laughs> I am an all or nothing person that's for you sure you so are I am but I I it's so funny for a long time I felt apologetic about that side of my personality but I have recently decided that I need to take things like that part of my personality and be happy that that's who I am. Well, and like just utilize it to your advantage too. Yeah. Like how can you think of that as a strength as being an all or nothing person? Like that takes your, you know, you have a lot of resolve as an all or nothing person. You're able to commit to things. Um, yeah. 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 And I think it's taken most of my adult life to figure out what I can and can't commit to. Do you think there are so many things that we thought were weaknesses or like downfalls to our personality or who we are when we were young that we so value now. Yes. What do you think those are for you? As much as I'm a all or nothing person, I'm also, I also strive for excellence and I strive for, and I will keep trying things and keep moving until I get there. 
Thank you. <laughs> That's the word I was looking for. You're relentless. And I think especially in my young adult, like young, young adult years, like 18, 19, 20, I thought that that made me foolish. I really did. I really thought that those qualities made me naive and foolish instead of strong and relentless. And it made me timid when I didn't really like accept that about myself. Which is so funny because to know you now... I yeah. would never see you as a timid person. Mm-mm. But because I, I finally I, realized who I was. I think I kind of remember that about you in high school. Yeah, like I think I was really scared to live in that space because uh, I think I always worried about being wrong. It was always important for me to be kind to everyone. And it was important for me to have a good relationship with pretty much everyone I was in contact with. And I think that's what drove it for me was what drove my um, the way I did things when I was younger, like in high school. But, uh, having, I, I, I'm glad that I realized those things about myself and that I think that's part of what I want people to realize about themselves is everyone's got qualities, you know, that they, they view as bad in some way or they view as a weakness. And I love that whole saying of you're turning your weaknesses into strengths because it's so true. You know, is if you can recognize what your weaknesses are, you can either a make them your strengths or they or you'll realize that they already are your strengths and you're just not using them. Mm. You know, like I was always so weird. Uh, like I was so worried about being stupid. Like, <laughs> what? right. You are literally one of the most intelligent and, and mind you, self-taught right. women and I that I surround myself with. Give myself enough credit. No. I don't. And I think this has been a good interview for me because when we started, I was telling you that I was having all these realizations that I was not giving myself credit for the things that I had done. Yeah, it's really interesting to be interviewed, period, and like tell your story from start to finish or close to. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, lots of things that we left out, of course, that will come up over the course of different episodes and and everything. But, you know, you, you come to a place where you're like, oh, okay, now I'm hearing all of this. And by the way, Genevieve edits the sound for our podcast. So, I'm gonna get so to keep she's going to get to keep hearing herself. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> You're used to it with all your video editing. Yeah, I am. So let's go back to our discussion about, um, you know, you kind of coming into yourself as a, as a beauty vlogger and... That whole journey of the toxicity. And so uh, I did beauty vlogging pretty heavily, heavily and intentionally for about a year. Like I was like... I was uploading all the time. I had photos. I had plans. Like I had, I had everything all like laid out and I loved it. I loved it. And it was, there was some things that I wish that I could be different. Like I was really lonely cause I was, it's a very singular thing to do. Nobody else was involved but me and I did everything, you know, so it was very lonely. Uh, but I did it for about 10 months and then I, I went into like November of that year And I started to get these mysterious skin problems on my neck and my face. And they just 10 months into like heavy and consistent makeup application. Yeah. And, and lots of different makeup application. Like I was trying new stuff all the time, buying new things, reviewing products. Like I was, I was probably three or four times a week. I mean, I was wearing makeup every day because I was also trying things out for longer periods of time. And I was intentionally wearing makeup and using different skincare all the time. And I mean, from drugstore to high end to pretty much anything that was new, like I was trying everything. 
And 10 months into it, I started to get these little, it was this little rash that was probably about the size of maybe a nickel on the right side of my neck. And it was red and itchy and it was uncomfortable. And I just covered it up with makeup for the most part so I could continue to film and uh, continue to wash it off. And I, for you see, that started probably in about September and by November it was got, had gotten bigger. Like it had gotten to probably about the size of like three or four quarters. And I hit about Thanksgiving and I was like, okay, I've got enough content stored that I'm just going to take a break and let my skin breathe and see if I can get it to calm down and go away. And, uh, for two months, cause it just got worse. It got worse after I stopped or what I <laughs> thought was stopped. So it got worse and I was just like, oh my gosh, I don't understand. And I, I took all of my esthetician knowledge, all of my med spa knowledge and was like, okay, I'm going to fix this. And I mean, it got to the point in February, end of January, where it was like even water like hurt. And then I also developed a little bit one like underneath each eyebrow. And so I couldn't wear eyeshadow. And I was like, this is, <laughs> this needs to stop. And by February, it had grown to almost my collarbone to my jaw in blotches. And I was just like, it was like my whole outside. And when I decided enough is enough is when I kept myself from going to church one day because the stress of getting my family up and dressed and ready and out to church made it flare up so bad. It was bright red and it burned. And it was like, it was almost too much you know? And I just said, I can't, I can't go to church because I stand up in front of the congregation and I lead the songs. Like I felt like I was standing up in front of all these people and having all this mess on my neck and I couldn't even put makeup on to cover it up. I was like, ah, so I just didn't go to church. And I remember sitting at home and being like, I can't believe my skin problems just kept me from going to church. And I was like, this can't, this can't continue. And I had a wonderful conversation with my mother-in-law who is an encyclopedia she knows everything about so many things. And she said, Genevieve, your makeup and your skincare is poisoning you. And I went, no, no. I was like, no, mm -mm. I, I was just not ready to hear it. And I was just like, no. Mm -mm. And I let it soak in for a little bit. And then I talked to her again a little bit later and she said it again. And I just burst into tears again. And I was like, okay. I don't know what to do here. I've got this makeup kit. It's like $2,500 worth of makeup. I've got, you know, I'm still taking on makeup clients. I'm doing beauty vlogging. I'm finally hitting a stride with my, my media and my, my audience. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And she was so kind and patient with me. And she just said, you got to start somewhere. And, um, so I ended up getting a little bit of a chest cold. So I spent the weekend in bed because I knew that if I didn't get well, it was going to be bad. So I sat in bed and all I did was research. All I did for a whole Saturday and Sunday, um, I stayed in bed and I researched. I thought for sure I'm allergic to one common ingredient. That has to be it. And even after what my mother-in-law said, I didn't quite understand what she meant, you know? So I went in and started researching and truly, truly, what I found 
absolutely shocked me to my core. It's horrifying. It's horrifying that our government is doing nothing. And And has no jurisdiction to do anything. And they're not even allowed to. So we're talking about the safety of cosmetics here. And And ingredients that are chosen. Yes. How they're used, when they're used, what they're put in. I mean, everything. And I, and I found all this information. I found the EWG purely because I was looking for data. I was like, I need data. And the EWG is the Environmental Working Group. And it is a fantastic place of wealth of knowledge for you to do your own research. And that was what was important to me. I was like, yes, there's a lot of bloggers out there that have opinions. Yes, I recognize there's an organic community for skincare and things like that. But I wanted data. Like I wanted to know what was being talked about in the science community. And even the science community is like, this is a well, like this, this is a scientific fact that this ingredient will cause a hormone disruption. And I was like, wait, (laughs) so you're telling me that we've known this for how long and nothing's being done? Like, I, I mean, at that point, I stopped everything. I stopped putting Aquaphor in my lips because I thought that was benign and not a big deal. I stopped washing my body with anything but water. Um, I flipped my hair over in the shower because I didn't want it to touch my body. And I was like, I guess I can touch my feet. <laughs> I mean, I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And I, and I had this moment of like, what am I going to do? And I realized that I'm on, I've got this platform that I've been using and I'm going to pivot and I'm going to find the best of the best. Cause I'm a makeup artist. I'm an esthetician. I'm like, I'm in, I'm in the right space to be able to pivot and find the best of the best and do what other people are looking for. Like I was looking for somebody to give me some guidance and there wasn't anyone that I could find easily anyway. And some people were like, here's some nice organic products, but I want to know what was in them. I wanted to know why they were chose this and why they didn't chose that. A lot of companies who say that their products are organic or natural or, you know, botanical, plant based. They don't say all of that. No. And a lot of them don't disclose all of their ingredients because you don't have to disclose all of your ingredients. Because you better believe I started researching my entire makeup kit and trying to find and granted all the boxes were thrown away. So I couldn't find the ingredient list for so many of my things. I mean, I went in and I put everything in a box that I couldn't find the ingredients for, but I wasn't ready to throw away. And then I threw away all the stuff that I was like, I will absolutely not use parabens. What was one of the things that you threw away that you really didn't want to? Oh gosh. Everything in my kit. (laughs) Um, (laughs) probably the hardest one for me was, I have a friend, she's a mutual friend. She, her husband works for a very large makeup company in Southern California and they make wonderful smelling stuff. And she is the kindest person in the world. And she sent me the entire line. What? She sent me the entire nice smelling line that they had. I mean, it was like easily $300 worth of product, if not more. And, um, I'm pretty sure fragrance was like fourth or fifth on the ingredient, on the ingredient list. list, which usually you see it last. Yeah. So it was really quite high on the list. And I, and when you don't know what's in that, there was more than that. But when I had to throw that stuff away, oh my, I, I felt terrible because she was so kind to send it to me. And two months previous, I would have been 
over the moon outside my mind excited because it was a new product. I got it before it hit the market and she was so excited to give it to me. And I was just like, <laughs> uh, I can't use hard. this. Oh my gosh. You know what was the easiest? My kids products. Oh my gosh. I chucked that stuff so hard, so fast. I was like, get out of my house because that was nasty stuff inside my kids products. And guess what? My kids also have eczema issues. I don't find that a coincidence. Well, that's a gut health conversation too, but yes. Right. But it could no, be exacerbating not. it for sure. Oh, it definitely was. Yeah. So I was like, oh man. And, and so when I finally realized what was going on, I went on an absolute mission. Bless my mother. She got in a car with me all the time, every few days. And we visited every place I could get my hands on in Portland that had stuff that was, that met my criteria of what ingredients I would use and what ones I wouldn't use. And I was still learning a lot about what I would and wouldn't use because I didn't use anyone for a gauge. It was all my own data, all my own learning, because that's what I wanted. And when was this? March of 2017. A year ago. February, March of 2017. Yeah. And I was just like, this is, there are people trying, but they're not transparent enough. It drove me nuts trying to get information from people. I was like, okay, so thank you. I appreciate your cleaner product, but you're not giving me any information that I can't like I have to like hunt down well people does a great job they do a great job there's a few other skincare companies that do a great job Um, rms does a great job but in my journey i was hunting i was hunting and when i was on instagram i was looking at all the hashtags trying to find things that i'd never seen before and i wanted to try and that's how i found beauty counter uh, which is really interesting. I don't know anyone that's got a story like mine. So tell everybody what Beauty Counter is, just so they... So Beauty Counter is a disruptive skincare makeup company. And I love saying that because they are. They're working. They're a company that's working toward advocacy in government, um, doing a better job of regulating. And it is a uphill climb. And they're doing a better job of transparency of what's in their ingredients and why they choose it. Uh, They do a better job of the testing is huge for me. The testing and screening is just honestly everything because they test every batch. They test or screen every batch um, several times. Is it three times? That's three times. Yeah, three times along its life. So Genevieve and I are both uh, partnering. We both partner with Beauty Counter um, along with many other brands that we suggest. Not necessarily in the skincare and makeup realm because there aren't any other companies out there doing the testing that Beauty Counter specifically is doing. And that's that piece of it, that transparency and the testing is is what keeps bringing me back and mm-hmm. choosing beauty counter over other things. Um, and this is neither here nor there, but a big part of our journey and kind of coming together and and moving forth and kind of going beyond this. But yeah, um, as far as the company is concerned, the testing happens at both at ingredient sourcing. So like if it's a flower petal at the farm where the flowers are grown. Um and then also at product formulation, so upon mixing. And then finally, after packaging, to make sure nothing is reacted with the packaging. And they're testing for 1,500 plus toxic chemicals and heavy metals as well. And the heavy metals piece of it is what keeps me coming back because there are lots of other companies out there who are formulating with safe ingredients. 
But when you hear that something is natural or mineral, like the mineral makeup thing is something that is such a huge misnomer. Everybody thinks, oh, it's natural. It comes from the earth. But when something comes from the earth, it automatically carries heavy metals with it. Yeah, it doesn't mean it's safe. Yeah, and if you're if you're not testing, if you're not testing for the lowest allowable levels, Mm -hmm. um, and Beauty Counter is frankly the only company that's that's doing that, which is why we're crazy proud to be a part of it. But Genevieve found it through searching hashtags for non toxic beauty. Yeah, and as drawn to their packaging, that was the funny part. I saw a lip shear. And it's, it's so beautiful. gorgeous. Oh, the beautiful gold packaging. I was like, what is that? Because that's the other thing is you get into like the crunchy space of skincare and makeup. Oh, the packaging is terrible because everything's recyclable. Oh, and the branding is awful. And you're like, you know, I'm such a sucker for good branding, good packaging, good branding. Of course, the product has to work, but I'm coming from a world where everything works. So I wasn't wowed by something just simply working. I wanted good branding. I wanted good packaging. And then coming from that world into, oh, okay, now, now I need to find stuff that actually works and does a good job. And it's, and it's, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? I don't know. I'll edit that out. <clears throat> I just needed something that also worked well and looked good and had good branding. Like I wasn't about ready to get behind something that just kind of worked good. Like I wanted the whole package. Yeah. And I I think heading into the natural product space, you know, food space too, you can kind of think of it that way. Like when we're switching over to a healthier version of whatever it is that we're seeking food, skincare, makeup, clothing, like nine times out of 10, like that stuff just doesn't doesn't taste as good or it doesn't look as good or, you know, the, oh gosh, recycled clothes. I'm just, clothing is like the last piece of toxicity that I need to address in my life. And maybe not the last, the last that I, I know of right now. Clothing Um, would be, it's going to be harder. Yeah, it's huge. And, and the style just isn't there. It's very Mm -hmm. rare. And so the styling is so important with products, especially when you're showcasing them on beauty vlogging videos. Like, you you know, that's part of the appeal. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And, and whether we realize it or not, that's another reason why conventional makeup does such a good job with branding is it does sell when it looks good Yep, on a countertop <laughs> or in your hand or in your purse or, you know, and so when I saw that gold lip shear packaging, I was like, what is this? And it was a consultant sharing a picture of it. And I was just like, oh, and so I go to the website and I look at it and I immediately dismissed it because it was direct sales. Like immediate, I was like, eh, and I put it at the bottom of my list because I had a list of things that I wanted to purchase and went about my business, bought all the things that I wanted. And then, okay, I'm at beauty counter. I know I want to purchase beauty counter. And I was trying to figure out how to do it. I wanted to touch and feel everything before I purchased. So, um, I reached out on the website, just a random, cause I knew I had never heard of beauty counter. I didn't know anyone that was doing anything with it. Yeah, You can search for local consultants or just submit a form to connect with someone in your area. Yeah. And it shot me to somebody in Seattle. I'm like, that's not my area, but thanks. It means that there were no directors close within your area, which actually makes sense for the time that it was in, but that's changed. (laughs) Cause that's who gets referrals or directors. Yeah. And I mean, now you won't get you sometimes <laughs> but I I got in touch with her and she was able to point me to an event I I really I, I talk about this all the time with my beauty counter journey is that it just it was meant to be because there was a headquarters event in Portland like five days after she first talked to me she's like hey next Friday you can go to downtown and 
um, the, all the products will be there. And I was like, I will be there because I wanted to touch and feel everything. I wanted the whole picture before it made any sort of decision to even talk about it on my, my vlogging experience. So I go downtown and bless my mom again. She's so kind to me. She came with me because I didn't want to go by myself because I didn't know anybody was going to be there. So I went in and I tried all the products, felt everything and was like, okay. And I got to meet the regional director, Laurel. And she was amazing. She's lovely. I just, I absolutely adored her. I loved listening to her talk and I loved the way the company carried itself, you know, cause I knew it was a headquarters event. I loved the catalog. I loved everything about the lookbook. I was like, okay, okay. I can talk about it. And I went home and then a few days later, Cassie posts something on Facebook <laughs> about looking for a makeup artist. And I was like, Ooh, me. Cause I was like assuming it was some sort of project that she was doing And turns out she went to the sales training the next day. I was at the headquarters event the night before and she was at like the consultant training the next day and we just barely missed each other. And she was like, what? (laughs) No way. And, and from there it just, I realized after talking with Cassie and with, with her about it, like, why wouldn't I do this? Like, why wouldn't I tether myself to beauty counter? You made a decision in like three days. It was fast. I didn't realize how fast it was. Now that I've been doing it for about a year and trying to help other people, you know, sign on to the business experience, try the products. I was really fast. You were very fast. Sorry, I don't mean to scare you. <laughs> you didn't scare me. You excited me. <laughs> you know, it was really so I um, just for backstory, I was already a consultant at that point. I had joined basically when you were in the thick of that, you know, dealing with the results of toxic stuff on your skin and, mm. and that rash that came about. So in the fall, I had joined Beauty Counter as a as a consultant. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I had the same reservations about it being a direct sales company, and that's not a conversation for today. But, um, you know, I was reaching out because I had gone to a recruiting training, actually, mm-hmm. where, you know, you're talking about you know, I didn't know having she was doing people that. joining your team. <laughs> um And it really opened my eyes to look at it in a different way. But one of the things I wanted to do was provide a service for my current and future customers to have the expertise of a makeup artist at like a local event where everybody could come and learn about toxicity and safer skincare and Mm -hmm. and cleaner cosmetics, but have an expert be able to do application or instruction with application. Mm -hmm. And so that was why I originally threw that out you know, thinking I would find someone and I secretly hoped that you would comment (laughs) that you would comment because I wanted to work with you. I love that. Like I said, things and I don't know of, why. Like I didn't know a lot of makeup art. I don't know a lot of makeup artists. I don't know a lot of makeup artists. I know more now, but um, I know some, but I still. But you were someone who I like. You know, I gravitated toward you in high school. I thought you were super cool, yes. and so so nice and so sweet. And so I had always followed your work. And as soon as you started beauty vlogging, like you showed up in this way that I just thought you had existed in that space for like 10 years. I'm serious. <laughs> I was awesome. like, I was just like, I was like, oh, Genevieve's been doing this for a while and I just haven't been paying attention because I had a couple of friends who had like shared or liked your videos and it popped up on my feed. And I was like, say what, what? Okay. What? Follow Jenny B beauty. <laughs> and, and just started watching what you were doing. And you know, at that time when you were kind of heavier into your vlogging, I was going through a really rough time postpartum, just not feeling myself and Mm -hmm. not having a solid like makeup or skincare routine, which I can't even tell you like how much that actually 
helped change things and, and turn my mood around and that's the powerful part that I didn't value until people started telling me their stories about my sharing. It's beautiful. So I, I think my problem was, is I didn't value what I didn't value what it was doing for me, that it would also do that for other people. I felt really insecure in makeup. I think because my whole life I had been under the impression that most people thought that women wore a lot of makeup. Get closer. Oh, thank you. You're really far away. <laughs> Am I? Oh, you're you right were. Here. I think my big problem was is that I didn't, I, I, for whatever reason, I think I felt that wearing too much makeup or loving to wear makeup meant that you were somehow fake or false or and I mean this is back to like there's a lot of misconceptions around that right and it took me going through this vlogging journey and being like I love the way this makes me feel because I think part of it is that I felt in control like I looked how I wanted to in that moment which is funny I wear way less makeup now than I did a year ago on a day-to-day basis. You also have a lot more aspects of your life under control. Right. And I choose not to wear the makeup, but man, when I wear that makeup, I'll wear that makeup, you know, <laughs> it's like, so it's, a, it's, it's really interesting. It's back to that whole, I hear this a lot. A lot of makeup artists don't wear makeup every day. And I think when you feel in control of how you want to look, when you want to look that way, it changes how you view makeup. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a tool. It's a it can yes. be a self care tool. It can it's like be a some, media tool. It's like just yeah. like you would with art. It's an art. Yeah, and so once I once I decided that it, I almost didn't really care what other people thought, I had to decide how I felt about it. It it changed how I shared too. It changed how I shared things with people and why I shared things with people because I didn't. If somebody back to that whole saying of someone's opinion of you is none of your business. Yeah. Like, I'm probably going to repeat that a lot in this podcast. I'm saying with done is better, you know, done is better than perfect. Mm-hmm. Like both of those things are kind of my mantras right now is like, you have to decide how you feel about yourself. And that's all that really matters is your opinion of yourself, you know, and you got to dig deep and decide. So I don't know. That was, that was my full journey for me. And now I'm in this space of, I want other women to know what they're purchasing. I want them to know what it's doing for them, whether it's good or bad. I want them to feel in control of how they look uh, because I am so thrilled with where I'm at in my life right now that I want other women to have it. (laughs) You know, I want them to have that security. I want them to have that power of information on both fronts on the fun side the application and how they apply it and skincare of like how they make their skin look the way they want to look and I also want it for them so they can know how to shop you know how do you shop in a way that is safe how do you shop in a way that's not gonna cause other problems in your body and so that's really follow Jenny B Beauty I know look up your products on the EWG quick plug (laughs) yeah it's okay I plugged you for you (laughs) I know no please please you can find me on Instagram you can find me on YouTube and it's all under Jenny B Beauty with a G it'll be it'll be in the notes Jenny with a G Jenny with a G (laughs) I always think of Jenny from the block oh can we tell you how many times the that J-Lo. song was sung to me? The J Lo song <laughs> and Jenny. <laughs> oh my gosh! So oh, many times. Oh goodness! 
So I, I want you to update us just really quick on like where where are you at now with your like w- your work life balance with your career? Where are things headed for you? And then kind of wrap up with where everybody can kind of find you on an individual basis, because we're definitely going to talk about where people can find us for the podcast information and show totally. notes and everything. Um, but but yeah. you specifically. So where am I at? So uh, I think I also need to talk a little bit about what I'm currently doing entrepreneur wise. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. Consumes so much of my time these days. Uh, so I also co-founded a company called Sparkle Beauty and we do charcoal teeth whitening products and we all, we sell on Amazon, but it's been so much more than just selling Amazon products. Cause we're also building a brand. So there is, we have an Instagram, we have a blog that's phenomenal. I love our blog. And we've got uh, we've got content that's coming all the time. We're working with people, and so you're going to see contests all the time. And we do talk about the contests that come out. So, uh, and you can also find the products to purchase on Amazon. So we'll put it in the show notes of how to spell it because it's not Sparkle like you think. It's S P A R K O A L Sparkle Beer. Sparkle Sparkle. So, and that stemmed from my frustration of not being able to find teeth whitening products that didn't have harmful ingredients in it because I still want white teeth like right? I just I don't see why I have to live without white teeth you know I really like drinking kombucha and coffee mm-hmm. so I need something to help me with that right and I like Ticino and it does the same thing as coffee and I realized to figure that out the hard way but it was and it also stemmed from trying to find products for my kids that were safe because even if it's not they're not using it for the whitening factor it's still going to be healthy for your teeth in the long run so I have Sparkle Beauty and I'm also getting ready to launch another company so I've got it and there'll be many details out that one we have to be secretive about oh so many details trying to work out it's a place in in the space that needs to be filled yeah 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 it does actually so and that we'll be talking more about that when that when we have when like launches, launch dates and things like that. It's so, going to be at what's new with Genevieve, and uh, that's going to be it. That's going to be it. It's going to be a big photo. <laughs> so I've got two companies really that I'm working with right now, and I'm also running my beauty counter business, and uh, that is such a wonderful journey because I don't feel alone. I've got a team, I've got a community, and that has been really important to me. Something I didn't realize was important to me until I was in that space. And well, that's how we came together. Yes. And started this thing. Yes. And I love the women that I have met through Beauty Counter. I have met some phenomenal people who are just beyond just really great people. They're professionals in their own right, whether they are therapists or nutritional therapy practitioners or chiropractors or like, I mean, there has just been... I mean, there's even been some amazing women that are stay-at-home moms that are just forces of nature that I have just loved learning from. And so between those three things, that kind of consumes my daily beyond my family. And so right now you're you're taking up the work at home mom space. Big time. That's been a difficult transition for me to be yeah. like, I am working. I can't do everything I was doing before. Mm. I need to compartmentalize and outsource, outsource, ask for help and ask for help. Yeah. We've been working on that with Genevieve. Yes. This is why Cassie's my coach. (laughs) Friend. Yes. Coach, friend, co-host. Co, we are (laughs) co-hosts. Oh, the realizations. There's going to be many. We did a thing. 
um, yeah. we, we started a podcast. We did a thing. That we are doing the, a thing. That's the thing that we did. Yeah. So I guess I'm also doing podcasting. So I'm, I'm podcasting. <laughs> I'm also, I'm I hope still, people know that if they're listening. Yes, please. Yes. I'm glad. But I'm also still doing beauty vlogging. It's just, I'm still, I'm not putting out nearly as much content as I was before, but I'm still doing it. You got a lot it. of irons in the fire right now. I do. And, I, and, to do. and I'm okay with being in that season. It was difficult for me to come to terms with, and I can't pump out as much as I want. Because I still that's have so much or, to say. That's that all or nothing mentality yes. that, that you've got going on. Yes. And done is better than perfect has been really big for me. So I'm like, okay, I will share when I can. And I'm not going to beat myself up if I can't put out a video every week. You know, yeah. it's like, okay. But it's brought me to all these great places. So I can't, I can't be upset at my journey. And it's not that I've put it down. It's that I'm just at a season where I'm setting up the structure for my businesses. And that's okay. Absolutely. So that's where that's where I'm currently you. at. I feel that transition. Good. Okay, so Genevieve has a wonderful, wonderful Facebook group called Safe Beauty Education. That is a yes. gorgeous community of people. That has been that, fun. from my perspective, like everybody should be a part of. She's sharing a lot of valuable information in there. She hops in there, goes live, does um, makeup tutorials occasionally as she's able to. Um, and then also following in on her Instagram story is it again, Jenny B beauty with a G at Jenny B beauty.com sparkle beauty.com. Get yourself yeah. some teeth whitening products on Amazon. Yes, ma'am. Um, and I love those products by the way. Good. And I'm kind of picky about tooth powder. Totally understand. I'm really picky about tooth powder. Totally understand. <laughs> really like Sparkle Beauty tooth powder. I I love. I really. It's funny formulating the products and getting the samples. And t- I was. It's a long process having it, a product based business. It's pretty. It is. Intense. And we'll, we're definitely going to do an episode about starting a product based business. Yes, I would love that. Yes, I've had a lot of questions about that actually. Yeah, I mean that's something that you know so many of us in the service-based business space want to occupy, mm-hmm. create some sort of product because you know either we find through our services that there is a a lack, there's yeah. a need for something, yeah, there's a white space, or that you know we're looking to diversify our portfolio and and stop trading our time for dollars so much, which mm-hmm. is honestly why I love the beauty counter thing so much because it's it's a space as far as business is concerned where you get kind of the best of both of those worlds. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that was a big revelation for me with Beauty Counter because I started Beauty Counter and Sparkle pretty much at the same time, which was really interesting. You know, product, very much product based, building a brand from the ground up, you know, being a co-founder, so not doing it alone. And then doing Beauty Counter, which is established, you know, maybe not necessarily my presence in Beauty Counter. That was that was really interesting to do really close together. So I'm, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to talking more about that in the future. The last question I want to ask you is what is your rebel moment? The moment in which you were like the most rebellious in your life. (laughs) So the silliest part about this is that I'm not a let's not follow the rules kind of person because I am slightly an upholder. We'll get into that later. You love rules. I kind of do. Like, I don't know what, yeah, so anyway, I, so, but you push me a little too far or I feel like somebody's put me in too much of a box and then I'm like, and then I, you know, and so, um, when I moved away from home, I moved to Utah and I kid you not, it is like 90% of the girls in Utah are blonde. (laughs) That sounds silly, but they are. 
And I lived in an area, I lived in Provo. So I lived in an area where there were two big colleges really close together. So the population of college students, so like my age at the time, was just astronomical. It was like its own zip code. Like it's just insane how many kids my age were in that area. And the majority of the girls were blonde or they were bleach blonde or they were, you know, so, and when I arrived, I had bleach blonde in my hair and I just didn't even think anything of it. I liked it. So I didn't think anything of it. And I was there for about six weeks, maybe two months. And I dyed it almost black. I just couldn't take it. You went real dark. I went, I went like deep dark chocolate brown it could have been black it just wasn't blue black it was warm black so you do have a silly rebel moment mine is much more serious yeah my mine was very silly because that was the biggest moment where I was purposefully doing something that I knew people would be like what are you doing like like I like I chopped off my bangs to my eyebrows like I had a full head of bangs that I didn't have before my hair was down to about my bra line and I need to see a photo of this. I will show you. Maybe we should put a photo in the show notes. Oh gosh. <laughs> I sent a picture to my mom after I did that and she was like, whoa, um, okay. It's like the, the moment when, dude, when your mom disapproves of whatever you did with your hair, it's a moment for a girl. Yeah. Or my, my mom, dad, both my mom, my mom and like, my dad. Oh, it looks nice, but I wish, I wish it was lighter. <laughs> That's what my mom would say. Yeah. She'll no, my like dad throw was like, me a why? slight. She was like, he's like, yeah, my mom, actually, she's a rebel. Like, that's her tendency out of the Gretchen Rubin for tendencies. And she was like, rock on, sister. Okay. And my dad was like, why? <laughs> Where's, why, why? Have you seen Provo, Utah? <laughs> oh my gosh. I just couldn't take it. I, it so was, funny. It was very difficult. And I, and all the girls are gorgeous there. I, it sounds so crazy, but everyone takes such good care of themselves, and there's so much competition of the person. It's the same next as to like you. being in Colorado was the same way for me. Yeah, and that it was like so beautiful. Everyone was so pretty. I'm so like, fit. Yes. Stop it. And I felt really out of place and kind of ugly when I lived there, and so. I started going to like underground punk shows and I dyed oh. my hair like black. That's actually how I met Skylar. I was going to shows. That's how I met my husband. Okay. We need to talk more about this. Oh man. The story behind Skylar and I. So funny. Okay. We're going to, let's have a separate episode on how we met our husbands. That would be a fun mini episode even. Little mini. Yeah. I like it. If you can choose. All right. Cool. Rebel moment. But that's moment. my rebel moment. I know it's not heavy, but. That's okay. That's the best one I can think of. We're going to have enough heavy and serious oh, versus. Yeah hilarious and ridiculous in this podcast so if you ever see me with really dark hair you'll know it's serious because one that means i've decided to ignore the toxicity that's going on in my head <laughs> and, and she two, got pissed off yes <laughs> <laughs> that's my rebel moment love it yeah so we're gonna hear a lot more from genevieve in the yeah. coming weeks months years who knows i know let's get this party started so excited so thanks everyone for listening Thank you so much for listening. I know that that was a long journey, <laughs> but I'm grateful. So thanks for joining us, guys. We will catch you in the next episode. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Rebel Heart Radio. You can visit our website to submit a question at www.rebelheartradio.com. Or you can hop on our Instagram. You can ask us anything. We love to get to know you guys. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a review on iTunes. And we'll catch you guys on the next episode.